your average podcast. It's not a political show. It's a podcast about church culture and the culture at large, viewed through the lens of Scripture. It's the Richards Revelations podcast with Scott Richards. Here's your host, Scott Richards. Welcome to this week's podcast. I'm Scott Richards. Thank you for joining me on this journey as we try to live our lives just a little bit better, as we look at things with the lens of Scripture and then apply it to our life. I want to encourage you to share these podcasts. And if you're liking them, go ahead and hit the like and follow icon and or subscribe. You can follow us on our Richard's Revelations podcast Facebook page or on other social media platforms like Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, Gab, Parler, and YouTube under Scott Allen Richards. If you'd like to participate in the ongoing production of this podcast, there's information below on how you can donate if you're so inclined. Once again, I am truly thankful that you take the time to listen to these podcasts. Today we're talking about deconstruction, a warning, reminder to stay in the Word of God. We as a people, and quite frankly, that also applies to the church, we love fads. And the current trend in evangelicalism is deconstructionism. People claiming, I've deconstructed my faith, which in most cases ultimately becomes deconversion. They walk away from the faith completely. Why I no longer call myself a Christian. I was an evangelical Christian all of my life up until about the age of 24 or so when I began to go through a deconstruction of that faith. I just kind of realized one day that I don't think I resonate with the label Christian anymore. Basically, what it has come down to is just a major shift in my thinking. For me, it kind of comes down to the question of who is Jesus and why do I need the salvation that comes through him? So those are two questions, but it really comes down to those those questions. As I started deconstructing my faith and reevaluating just these different beliefs that I had in my theology, I started asking what is sin? What is sinfulness? What does that mean? To me, I really stopped. I stopped relating to that term. Over the years, I've slowly learned to acknowledge and realize that I do have worth. I do have value. At first, I found it through my faith in Jesus, but eventually that morphed into me seeing my own worth for myself. I didn't need religion necessarily to say that I mattered. I started to believe that on my own of myself. So I was able to kind of transition from an identity and self-worth steeped in what the Bible and religion and my Christian faith told me into believing that I had value inherently just by being a human being. I started questioning what sin even really meant. And I found that a lot of the things that I would beat myself up over thinking it was sin are really just very common struggles and issues that most humans deal with. They don't deserve all of this negative attention and this pressure and this heavy guilt. My concept of sin kind of faded into I'm just I'm just a normal person with normal human tendencies and that doesn't make me a bad person. I have the ability to be responsible for my own decisions. So it really just came down to like personal responsibility and realizing that we don't have to call these normal parts of being a person, we don't have to call it 
sin or something that needs being saved from, being a psychology major in college, we can improve ourselves through therapy, through becoming more self-aware, becoming more emotionally intelligent, just all these things. And so I think eventually what happened as I deconstructed my faith is I realized that I don't really believe in the concept of sin anymore. And I don't think our souls should hang in the balance because of um, just decisions we choose to make that are very normal for people to wrestle with and deal with. And so if I don't believe in sin, then that begs the question, then what do I need saved from? Jesus came and died to save me from my sins, which I no longer believe I am a sinful person at heart. I'm just a typical person with the capability to make good or bad choices. What what then do I need saved from? What did Jesus's death and resurrection accomplish? What does that mean for my life now? I didn't have good answers for that anymore. I felt as crazy as this sounds, I felt like I I didn't need saving. During the Enlightenment, there was a real push for reason and rational thought. And that was also something that, as you can imagine, sort of crept into the church as well. So there are figures like Cahans and Hegel that were really trying to answer some deep theological questions about God, about our understanding of God. But they weren't necessarily doing so through the traditional means that say like Augustine or even Aquinas, where they were looking through the scriptures. These others, they, they were trying to come to these realizations or this destination in their understanding through reason and logic. As the priority, it was about rational thought, the God of the Enlightenment in many ways. It was human reasoning. And so that's what they employed as they did the work of trying to answer these tough questions about philosophy and theology. I think that there was a challenge when you look at it, this in the church itself, to sort of feel relevant and to keep up. It's a similar thing that happened when postmodernism really began. In more recent years, the churches had the same challenge, essentially during the Enlightenment as a rational, logical humans. Some would say, we know that there's no such thing as a miracle. We know there's no such thing as the supernatural. And so as they begin to read the Word of God, they begin to see those stories like Jesus feeding the 5,000, walking on water, or even being raised from the dead, and it's like, no way this could have happened. So they began what they called a quest for a historical Jesus. The historical Jesus was a term that was used to basically describe the Jesus who once you cut away all the supernatural aspects, the mythological aspects of the New Testament, in order to arrive at the true historical figure. This is what they thought, and so the church during the Enlightenment, in an effort to stay on the cutting edge, to stay relevant in society, they were faced with a challenge to either continue to hold to the miraculous aspects of the New Testament specifically, or let go of these things and reason them away, using the same tool of the Enlightenment, human reasoning, in order to make sense of those incidences. And so there were all sorts of writers that began writing what they believed was sort of this biographical portrait of the historical Jesus in order to make better sense. In some sense, their intention was to salvage Christianity, except for the fact that Christianity didn't need to be salvaged. It didn't need anybody's help. The gospel scriptures did not need anybody's help to keep them relevant. Their relevance 
at all times, in all places, for all people. That is the nature of the book. In fact, the moment you start chipping away at them, cutting away at them, that's the point you're actually stripping them of the relevancy. But the people during the Enlightenment didn't necessarily see this. And so, this became a major line of thinking, and really out of this was born what we now call, in theology, thought-critical theology. Critical theology, as you can imagine, was influenced and intimidated by critical theory. And essentially, they're applying the same critical look at Scripture that individuals like Marx was already applying to society or to the economy or to the classes. And so critical theology really became a new way of studying Scripture. In the past, those who held biblical inerrancy the belief that Scripture is perfect, righteous, good, true, and trustworthy, that it's God-breathed, it is inspired, God-ordained. People in the past would look at Scripture using Scripture to interpret Scripture, basically to be a commentary on itself. Now, under this new line of thinking with critical theology, people began looking at Scripture and doubting it, and they started from a place of question, of concern, of having to chip away at it. Stage one of my deconstruction was definitely going to college. I went to a small Christian liberal arts college. College played a huge role in teaching me how to think critically. My theology professors and philosophy professors especially always were trying to push students to to rethink all of the right answers we've been told about God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit and salvation. So they were really the ones that pushed me to start looking at things in a different way. It's not unlike what Lucifer or the serpent did to Adam and Eve in the garden. Did God really say? Is sort of the essence of what drives deconstruction, deconversion. And ironically, the individuals caught in the framework on this who have adopted this deconstructionist mindset aren't able to see that fully. But really, this is nothing new. This has been happening since the Garden of Eden. Questioning, did God say? And can we really trust it? So that is some foundational information to, to kind of set up our discussion today. This is typically a definition of things that are going on within what is today called progressive Christianity or progressive churches, which used to be called the emergent movement or emergent churches. They were big on removing the talk of sin and having consensus with and between other denominations and other faiths to have some interfaith events to be user-friendly and culturally relevant. And you hear some of these same sentiments from people when discussing their deconstruction process, the reasons they're deconstructing and leaving the faith. They no longer, or really never did in some cases, accept what the Bible teaches on certain elements and belief systems within the text of the Bible. Over the course of my adult life, I came to think that uh, Christians might actually have it backwards. I.e., when the secular scientists, historians, archaeologists, etc., question the truth of something in the Bible, they they most likely were right, right? That was the process, was it was, a, it was a slow and steady shift. And then coming to that conclusion, which I finally got all the way on the other side of that, uh, coming to that conclusion gave me permission to question what I kind of call the underlying cosmic principles of evangelical Christianity. Namely, people are born into a broken relationship with God and if they don't reconcile that relationship through Jesus, they will spend eternity in unthinkable torment in hell. And when I started thinking like, that's not even something that I want to believe. Mm -hmm. uh, 
Um, I had given myself the permission to not have to believe it because I didn't, I no longer believe the underlying sort of ideas that led to that, right? And at that point is when I was like, okay, no longer consider myself a Christian. I don't think that Jesus rose from the dead. I don't think that God's ultimate true manifestation is in the person of Jesus. I would say that that puts me safely outside of the Christian camp. I'll tell you, I do believe that my soul is richer because I've made some progress in knowing and loving myself more. And that's um, through therapy, through introspection, through conversations. Um, and I'm beginning to experience how understanding and accepting myself has expanded my capacity to love other people. So the next stage in my deconstruction was meeting my now husband who came from a Catholic background. And that was, that was really eye-opening for me. Christianity doesn't have to look a certain way. Another thing that really shifted for me in meeting my husband, while we were dating, I was faced headfirst with reevaluating how how I was going to date, what our relationship was going to look like. I knew dating needed to look different. I couldn't go through and live by the same rules that evangelical Christianity had taught me. So it was while dating my husband that I really, really did some soul searching and re-examining what I believed about Christianity and sexuality, what the Bible says about sexuality, what authority it should have, just all of those sorts of questions. I discovered that a lot of views that I had held before were unhealthy and pretty negative, honestly. His, one of his favorite people on earth was his teacher. She's a lesbian, she has a wife, they have two kids. We went to Legoland and we happen to run into them. I got a kick out of Lando seeing his teacher who he loved so much in a different environment. That there's always that, that, that funny exchange between a student and their teacher uh, out in the wild and it feels weird. His love for her was so strong that it had the power to overcome that weirdness. And like they, we got a picture together and we would see each other in line and we'd talk to each other and like, you know, it was, it was amazing. Just that he has that type of relationship with, with his teacher. If I would have instilled in him what was instilled in me, he, he would have felt deep down within himself that he didn't have permission to love her. The fact that he's free to love her is a beautiful thing that I and to love her fully. I think to love her fully. That that because yes, when you love because again, I'm not saying that Christians who there are Christians who believe based on their commitment to the Bible and the what their interpretation of the Bible that being gay is ultimately wrong. But they say that our gay acts are are are, are wrong. But the person is lovable and can be redeemed, etc. You're invalidating a huge part of that person's identity and existence and also the, in your teacher's case, the, her, the relationship and her family is, is not a valid or a legitimate family and therefore that's not full, it's just not full love. One of the problems is the church just can't seem to stop producing false converts. Many present an imbalanced portrayal of Jesus. It lacks his holiness, righteousness, and his judgment. I talked about this idea of the pendulum swinging before from one generation in the church to another. And in some cases, you had the extremes simultaneously in different factions of the church. 
I remember I remember growing up in traditional denominational churches with a theology that you can lose your salvation for just about anything. I know it was taught early on that movies and dancing and all of these sort of things were sins. Therefore, if you did any of those things, you had to be at the altar the next Sunday because you're in danger of going to hell. Now, I understand the concept and mindset to have some ideas and suggestions and saying, look, some of these things can lead you down a path to where you end up in compromise. But the way it was presented is, no, this is flat out sin, you know, in some cases, how they would present it. And so you're always in fear that, oh my goodness, you know, I did this. And so therefore, you know, I'm going to go to hell now and I need to go down to the altar and repent and, and I get saved all over again. Then, so there was those kind of things going on in the type of churches that, that I was familiar with. Then we swing over to this idea that God is loving, God is grace, is so wonderful. Just say a prayer, invite Jesus in your life. Now, let me point out, God's love, grace, and mercy is amazing, is for everyone. But the Bible doesn't teach, receive Jesus, add Jesus to your life. Just say a prayer. The Bible teaches that we are to surrender our life to Jesus, that we are to repent, not add him to our life, that our life is to change, stop living the way we did, and live for Jesus according to his word. That our life should bear fruit of what a Christian is based on what the Bible describes what a Christian looks like. Not construct our own form of Christianity where we add Jesus, his love, mercy, to our belief system that looks more like the world than what the word of God teaches. Let's jump in a couple scriptures here just to kind of reinforce and remind. We look at things through the lens of Scripture. So what does the Bible say about this? Well, starting in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, it says, and this is Jesus speaking, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then we have also here in Mark, again, Jesus speaking, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And then again, Jesus speaking here in Luke, Chapter 5, verse 32 says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. See a theme here? Now, flip over here to chapter 17 of Luke, verse 3. It says, Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Again, consistent theme. Repent. Getting right with the Lord Getting right with God requires repentance. Now we're going to listen here to Paul in Acts chapter 3, verse 19. says, Therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Now we'll leave it right there and we will pick up on some other scriptures here in a moment. But some of these things that we come across and I have read and I have listened and watched to many different people. They put videos out or they'll put out a statement. It'll be on a website or whatever, depending on whether or not the person's just an everyday person or whether there's some famous person that you might recognize, some former Christian entertainer or whatever, an author, a pastor, when discussing this whole deconstruction business that they're going through. There are certain elements and things that pertain to it, and part of it is the not understanding the full concept of salvation. In many cases, it was they were young, and they were told, hey, just raise your hand and say this prayer. And, hey, you're born again. You're good to go. And then there's other elements. As they get further on and get to know more things, realize, wow, their worldview doesn't align with what the 
Scripture teaches on these things. And so now they're in this whole convoluted thing they have to deconstruct because they don't, and they say they no longer, they don't agree with what the Bible teaches. So they have to start going outside of the Bible to try to find answers. And so obviously you can find these uh, secularists and atheists and different ones that try to discredit the Bible and have put out all kinds of false things on there for people to stop believing in the inerrancy and the trustworthiness of the Bible. Therefore, it provides them the opportunity to go, well, I don't believe those things anymore. I'm choosing not to believe those things anymore. And since I don't trust the legitimacy of the Bible, I don't believe it's the all-anointed holy word of God, then I'm walking away from this. So you got a partial thing if it's a salvation thing, whether or not they've really been saved. And really saved, that would include the whole transformation that's supposed to take place, where you're actually in line with and you're surrendered to the Lord. And so as you learn things in the Bible, you align your thinking with the Word of God. Not a problem. But because there's so much this pressure and influence from our culture, whether it be the entertainment, TV, movies, the education system, whatever, is they're pushing certain things out there that if you don't agree with these things, then, then you're evil, you're mean, you're a hater, and all these sort of things. And so then when you come across or you find out or discover or remember that the Bible teaches against those things, now you're you're in a situation to where, uh-oh, either I stand on the Word of God and believe this, my eternity is determined on whether I am a follower of Jesus Christ, or am I going to yield to the pressures of society and disavow the Bible? We live in a time in history where people really want to be liked. And with the craze of social media, social media can be a good thing. I use it. But it can be also a dangerous thing if your self-worth is based on what people's opinion of you are. And when you put your life out there and people are going to come against you if you believe certain things, if you're not secure in your faith, if you're truly not repentant, if you're truly not walking with the Lord, if you truly aren't standing on God's Word and realize hell's a real thing, and I can either be accepted and loved by the world and go to hell by rejecting God, by rejecting Jesus Christ through my deconstruction process, or I can say, hey, let every man be a liar, but God be the truth, as the Word of God says, and I'm going to stand on the Word of God. If you don't like me, that's okay, because you're not sitting on the throne of judgment when I have to stand before God, the Creator. And so I'm going to stay in line with what His Word teaches. You don't like me, you don't like me. That's on you. Now, with this whole thing, there's another dynamic, and it's it almost is going to feel like a sort of like a pivot, but I'm going to tie it all together because there are elements that run through both of these situations. I hear this statement from many different people, and I heard it again recently, but because I wasn't able to unpack it with this person, I won't specifically assign thinking to what they said. They were repeating what someone else had said. So I don't know exactly what they meant by it. So I'm not going to address it in the context of that individual, but I'm going to unpack it in a more generally based of what others have meant by that statement. And the statement is this, as long as they've got the salvation issue clear, don't worry about anything else. Don't take issue with it. Don't talk about it. Don't debate it. Don't debate it if it's not a salvation issue. Hey, we're all in this. We're all in the camp together. Let's just go forward. Don't be bothered by secondary issues. Well, clarifying what is a secondary issue as opposed to an unbiblical belief system is important 
because there are many belief systems out there that are dangerous and which are causing some of these people to start deconstructing because of the things that are being told to them and preached to them that are unbiblical. The statement of as long as they got the salvation issue right is typically all-encompassing, but it's important to draw a distinction between what is secondary issue and what isn't. A secondary issue, for instance, like with baptism, someone believes, the church believes, individuals believe in submersion in the water, or others would believe in sprinkling. Because the Bible doesn't say you must submerge or sprinkle is okay or isn't okay, it isn't direct that way, you can't divide over something like that. How or when the gifts of the Holy Spirit are operated? Ask ontology. Those are the kind of things that would fall under like secondary issues, and there's others. But when you have people claiming to be a Christian on their way to heaven and believe and embrace, and in some cases live in sin, that the Bible has already described as sin, that is not a secondary issue. That's a salvation issue. Whether or not they're truly saved, they didn't repent change their way of living, change their way of thinking, and put it in line with the biblical text. They've added Jesus to their life, their belief system. So, you will have churches and individuals out there, and there's a statement of faith that acknowledges that you're a sinner, Jesus is the one who can forgive you of your sins, his grace and mercy is sufficient for you, receive Jesus in your life. On face value to many Christians, that is a correct understanding of what it is to be saved. What is missing, as I stated, is repentance and the fact that they are promoting certain sinful lifestyles while claiming to have been saved and a lover and follower of God. So just reading someone's statement of faith or their ministry website or having them tell you what the process is isn't good enough. We need to go deeper. What about the other elements that are required in a true conversion, namely repentance? Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. We are transformed by the renewing of our mind, getting in line with God's word. No longer do we live like the world, believe like the world, but we are being conformed into a fruit-bearing, true biblical Christian. Now, listen to me closely, because I'm going to say something, and if you don't listen to it completely and listen clearly, you'll instantaneously go, oh my goodness, and freak out on me. Don't do that. Pay attention. Respectfully, pay attention. Listen to what I'm saying and why I'm saying what I'm saying, and I'll put it all together, and you'll understand, and you'll see I'm not as crazy as it's going to sound at first. There are few things more dangerous than preachers out there preaching that God loves everybody unconditionally, important, unconditionally, because the message that is heard by the people who hear that is there's no conditions. I can continue to live just as I'm living in full rebellion against God, and I have nothing to worry about because there aren't any conditions that I have to meet. God loves me unconditionally. I don't have to repent. I don't have to come to Jesus. I don't have to leave my life of sin. No conditions. No strings attached. God loves me just the way I am. He's glad that I turned out so nicely. When we shy away from God's attributes of justice and wrath because we want to be nice, then Jesus' death means virtually nothing, and the individual never humbles themselves in repentance and faith. If God isn't holy, 
and angry about sin and hates sin, hell makes no sense. And frankly, Jesus' redemptive work makes no sense either. While Jesus is indeed meek and gentle, too many preachers present Jesus like a sissified boyfriend who just doles out some helpful advice. They present this idea of a needy Jesus. Jesus is just yearning for you. He's longing for you. He wants friendship with you. He needs you. You're breaking his heart. But as soon as life goes south, the hearer of this type of Jesus leaves their Jesus boyfriend for a more faithful life enrichment gospel. Some preach a gospel that tells people your life is going to become better if you just follow Jesus. No more problems. God does not want you to be broke. The health and wealth prosperity gospel. The life enrichment gospel. Deceiving millions of people all over the globe. They are promised prosperity, a better life, if they give money or do a bunch of stuff. In other words, these preachers put a yoke squarely on the shoulders of believers. And as soon as the cosmic vending machine doesn't deliver, they're furious. And who can blame them? They've been working hard for God. And now he let them down. We have a bunch of false converts because too many fail to preach repentance or have given a false definition of what repentance is. Just say a prayer and you're good to go. We need to truly repent from our sins, turning away from the darkness that we used to love and turn toward the light of righteousness in order to be saved. Some may say turning from your sins is a work. And salvation isn't by works. Stopping sinning is not a work. It's just not doing something. But as I said, because there's false gospel, false representations of what it is to be a Christian, and this whole idea that love is supreme, that love is the most important thing, we heard in one clip there, that you can't fully love with the constraints of Christianity. Because in order to fully love, you have to fully embrace who somebody is in their lifestyle, in their state of sin. No, there's a problem with that. There is a distinction and a difference between loving somebody and caring enough for somebody that you want them to understand and know the truth and for them to stop sinning. And so, yes, you can fully love somebody and I would argue that fully loving somebody in completeness is being honest and straightforward with that person, not rejecting the truths of God's word because people have chosen to live in sin. And now you're going to validate that and say that's love when you validate them in their sin. That is wrong. And you're doing a disservice. And this idea of everything's about love. Yes, God loves you so much that he went to the cross and paid for the sin that you're in, whatever those sins are. But if you rejected that because he loves righteousness and justice, he will deliver justice, rightful, holy, judgment, justice. And that is missing too much in too many circles of Christianity today at the detriment of the people truly seeking and wanting just to live in peace and and have a good life. And so when faced with the challenges of this life and challenges of the pressure from the cultures and things, and people have been brought up in certain ways of thinking, there are even people that were so into their denominational doctrine belief system that when they discovered that there are other doctrines that believe other things, they mistook that for 
which would be those secondary issues oftentimes, they took that as something's wrong with this picture because not every Christian believes the same things. Then they took it a step further into those other areas where they go, well, you know what? There's other people out there that believe that these certain things aren't sin. So this is a really a mess. And so they have to start digging in and, and they start this process of deconstruction and, and ultimately come to deconversion. And then people are out there saying, I don't call myself a Christian anymore. I'm not a follower of Jesus because I don't believe that this is the way to salvation or that those things or the Bible would call sin is is sin. It's just people being people and living normal lives. And so for people to have a view that there's something wrong with people just living their life, I don't want to be a part of that. And so these people have walked away. And again, I do question whether or not they had a true heart conversion. I know most of these people, when it's been addressed before, they speak out and they say, but I really had a faith. They had the intellectual understanding. They had a mental belief system, an emotional experience, but there was never really any heart transformation because the repentance part of it didn't come into play. They didn't reject their way of thinking. So they said a prayer. They believe in the intellectual understanding of what it was to get saved. And again, redefining what repentance looks like. For many, it's basically, I'm saying I want to put Jesus in my life, so I'm raising my hand, I'm saying a prayer, and that is what repentance means to me. But that's not the definition of repentance. Repentance isn't about faith. You are turning from that which you used to believe, that which you used to do. Those things that God calls sin, those are no longer a part of your life or your belief system as being something that is okay. Those things didn't happen in these people's lives. Because when you listen to them talk, they eventually get there that they don't believe these things or don't agree with those things. That tells you they didn't have a real truth true, repentant, transforming heart conversion. Now, I want to jump into a few more scriptures here because it is going to address some things here that might have heard in some of these clips, but certainly many of the other ones that I've listened to and about these people deconstructing, how they've chosen to disavow and not believe certain things. I want to start here, Romans chapter 1, verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. Men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made. So they are without excuse, for even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God and gave thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolishness and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Oh my goodness. When you read that and you think about these people that I've been looking up and studying for this podcast, it breaks your heart because, oh, the men, they went outside of the word of God seeking, trying to find, and there are fools out there passing themselves off as wise with all kinds of mistruths that helped cause these people to question the Bible, question their belief system to where they would walk away. My prayer is that some way, somehow, the Holy Spirit would truly 
reveal himself to them, and they would truly repent and get bright with God. Also, I wanted to, before I move on, Romans chapter 1, 28, picking up in verse 28, it says, And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to their deprived mind, to those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanders, haters of God, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Sounds like some of the false churches out there that give a place and give praise and to those that are practicing sin because they don't want to call it out. I also want to look right here at 1 John chapter 2, 15-19. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, it is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lust. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. Children, it is the last hour. And just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have maintained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they all are not of us. That there looks like a definition and an explanation to what is happening to a lot of these people. And this answers the question where, like I said, many say, oh, no, I was truly saved. I loved God. I was a follower of God. I raised my hand. The Bible tells us here that, look, they go out from us. They leave. They were never really part of us. They were never really truly saved. And I know that's a thing where there'll be a lot of objections to that. But there wasn't a really true repentant heart. And I also want to say, as we're moving on to another scripture, is that, yeah, there are things that people have done within church under the banner of Christianity that's not good, that's wrong. That doesn't mean that God is not real, that God is not faithful, that God is not all-forgiving, all-loving, all-caring. It means that there's some jacked-up stupid people that are abusing their responsibility and the roles that they have, and that have hurt people within the body of Christ. If that's happened, well, you leave that situation. You leave that fellowship, you leave that ministry, that place, and one, you go to a place where you can get healing and help, and you run to God, but you don't you don't give up on the Lord because someone misrepresented him, because somebody did things that were wrong. You don't look to man, you look to God. There are many times in my life, as I've said, I've grown up in church, been to a lot of different types of churches, been a lot of different churches in the same denomination, other denominations, and non-denominational different places, that if I were solely focused on individuals as it pertains to me and and whether or not I'm going to walk with Jesus, I could have walked away many times. But I just chalked it up as they're wrong. And if I had an opportunity that they would get challenged or they would would speak to them and show them the error, like the Bible says to do, and if they would correct it, fine. If not, then sometimes I would move on. But I wouldn't walk away from God because my faith and hope isn't in man's representation of what a Christian is. Now, we should be somebody that, like Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ, but the majority of the time, that's not the case. So, we have to be reminded that we do not have our eyes focused on men. We look to 
Jesus Christ, we look to his word. Can people impact our life in a positive way and bring biblical instruction? Absolutely. But are you going to find flaws within that individual? Yes, you are. And in some cases, you're going to find some major flaws. Some are ones that would disqualify them from being in that position. And sometimes it's not that severe of a situation. Now, I want to jump over here, Romans chapter 6. What should we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death. So then, as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now, if you have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he has died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its lust. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God, for sin shall not be master over you. Unfortunately, those sentiments don't ring true in some circles of evangelicalism. The progressive theology way of thinking, the people that are rejecting what the Word of God says, trying to explain it away, trying to say that's not really what it means, or use the words like someone's interpretation. I'm sorry, if you read specifically places where the Lord calls something sin, there isn't any other way to interpret that. But this is the stuff they need to believe to give them satisfaction, peace, comfort, and the freedom to reject it while having a false sense of security. And that's the ones that want to still call themselves Christian. There are others, as we discussed in this podcast, that have said, well, because I don't agree with those things, I am pulling away and I'm not going to be a part of any of it at all. And they find, and they believe, there's this idea that everything they need is found within themselves. And this is, again, a lie from the devil. I talked about that, that idea in some other podcasts of the past, but this is the stuff that's being put out there. And so these people that have questions and they go to these secular people for answers or they go to a counselor and they begin to tell them, look, you're worthy. You have everything you need in and of yourself. You have self-worth. You need to love yourself more. And you have self-morality. You can guide your life from within because you have within everything that you need. And this idea that the Bible teaches, the Christianity teaches that we are unworthy that we are a sinner in need of a Savior. It's offensive to people because they're being told and being reconstructed to believe that they in and of themselves are worthy. Now, we are worthy in the sense that God thinks of us worthy enough to go to the cross because he knows that we are a sinner and he knows what the outcome 
of a life of sin is going to bring. Because he believes that you are worthy enough for him to go to the cross to give you redemption, that's where your worthiness comes in. Because he thinks you're worth it. But not to stay in the state that you are currently in as a sinner, as a non-believer, as a non-follower of Jesus Christ. We, to make it convenient, give people the opportunity to make a public stand for Jesus Christ. And so we invite them down oftentimes to the front of the church or wherever we're having a gathering that, that we give the invitation for people to give their life to Jesus Christ, to surrender. See, this is key too, and I mentioned this in here, where people take and they want to receive Jesus, they want to add Jesus, whereas becoming a Christian is really us giving our life to him, surrendering over to him. So there's a distinction there that I think is missed so often because it's presented in such a way that you you receive Jesus, you, you're accepting him, you're adding him to your life. And I probably even used words like that even in the course of giving a gospel presentation, but I've also made it clear that you're repenting, you have to repent, you have to turn away, and you change. You become a new person. Old things are passed away, behold, all things become new. I, I almost always add that in, in my presentation so they understand that they're surrendering, they're giving up, they're changing. They're not adding Jesus to their existing lifestyle. And so my heart goes out to these people that are lost. They're without Christ. And because we have social media, because we have YouTube and all these other sources and venues for videos and blogs and stuff, you have people doing these things and it's having a bunch of other young people and different people question walking for Jesus. When you go to college, a quote-unquote supposedly Christian college, one, I don't understand why they're teaching psychology and philosophy in a Christian college. Those are two pagan things. But anyways, that's beside the point. But the fact that these professors there that would have them start challenging you need to challenge what you believe, challenge your question whether or not it's real, and how they're doing it while adding philosophy and psychology and all this in the mix, and they're young and impressionable. You talk about a convoluted situation. That's one of the reasons why that people that you see so many of these young kids going off to college, how so many of them walk away from Jesus Christ in college. And I'm not talking about just the party schools. I'm talking about the so-called Christian colleges, because some of the classes they take, they walk away, they're discouraged, they're questioned, and their faith doesn't get strengthened with an education. It gets weakened with an education. Those are the some of the transitional things that some of these people experienced where it started off for them to start questioning and deconstructing is when they went to college. Bottom line is, for you and I, we need to stay true to the Word, stay focused on the Word. We don't go to secular, atheist ideology to discover whether or not the Bible's real or what we believe is real. That's ridiculous. It's been tested and proven to be accurate through prophecy, through archaeology, so many other things that can the legitimacy and the trustworthiness of the Word of God. They're constantly finding more and more things that were spoken of in the Word of God that nobody knows about other than in the Word of God, and then they will find a piece of something in archaeology or a hidden building or structure or city as they're digging and stuff. It's like, wow. And they got emblems and symbols and insignias, which were spoken of in the Word of God. Hey, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast. I really do appreciate it. And again, if you know of anyone that likes to listen to podcasts, I ask you to tell them about this one. Add it to their list. But I do appreciate all the help by listening and encouraging others to listen. Until next time, God bless you.